presents. Hello listeners, Billy Sanford here with another episode of Sunny 16 Presents On Location. This is the final installment of my series of explorations into the intersections between music and photography. I attended a concert photography workshop in November 2021. It was a workshop I had attended previously where I shot only digital. I attended this time with the additional goal of capturing some images using film, just to see what might be possible. This got me to thinking about my own links between music and photography. Indeed, early in my photography hobby, capturing images of friends and bands and small dimly lit clubs helped teach me about the exposure triangle. So I had the thought to share those experiences through a blog post or maybe in a podcast like the one you're listening to now. It's been noted before that there are a number of people in the photographic community who are also interested in music. They may play music, they may draw inspiration from music, or the music they're listening to may just, through osmosis, work its way into the creative outlets. Since I'd been reflecting on these things myself, I thought it would be interesting to get thoughts and insights from others about the roles these things play in their lives. So over the holidays, as 2021 gave way to 2022, I began chatting with people. Everyone's experiences and observations were so interesting to me, I didn't really want to cut out just little bits to share in my podcast. I wanted everyone else to be able to enjoy those perspectives as much as I had. So my little goal of one podcast about music and photography became eight. And now, in this eighth installment, you will hear what might have been that standalone episode. I'll discuss the concert photography workshop and share a few of my thoughts on music and photography. And I'll also include a few vignettes from those conversations to paint a little broader picture of how different people experience these things. But again, if you haven't heard those original conversations, I strongly encourage you to go back and listen to get the larger context of those thoughts and insights. Building a project like this is not like anything I've done before, and it's been tremendously rewarding. I've written a couple of articles for 35MMC in the past, and I've recorded a couple of standalone podcasts for Sunny 16 Presents but I've never tried to do both and expand on my own thoughts by including those from other members of the community. And in my opinion, that is the aspect of this that really took this effort and made it so much better than anything I've done before. I'm grateful beyond words that people were willing to take time out of their day to speak with me and to share their experiences. And I hope you found the overall project enjoyable. As someone who enjoys both music and photography, it's been so enlightening to me to consider all the ways these things touch people's lives. But as I mentioned at the top, I had an opportunity to literally combine these things in November 2021. So let's start there. Many of you listening will have attended a concert at some point in the past, and many of you may have mental images of famous musicians performing. Perhaps if I reference Pete Townsend and his windmill guitar playing, some image will come to mind. Or maybe Angus Young and his schoolboy outfit. One of those iconic images for me was Jimi Hendrix kneeling on the stage and dousing his guitar in lighter fluid before setting it on fire. All of these and so many more are moments of musical history and performance captured and preserved in our memories through photography. Concert photography, especially at that level, is sort of a niche genre. People who are attending concerts may take a few snapshots while they are there, but the primary goal is to enjoy the music and see some of their favorite performers live. My understanding is that while it may have been more commonplace in the earlier years for a photography enthusiast to bring a camera into a concert, This is not as feasible these days where images of a performer is part of their brand and they want to control how it is presented and marketed. As a result, access to concerts with advanced photographic equipment these days is very limited. So as a fan of music and a photography enthusiast who has all of these 
fond mental images from iconic performances in the past. When I had the opportunity to attend the concert photography workshop in 2019, I jumped at the chance. It was a chance to use the latest and greatest gear during a big time show with state-of-the-art lighting. And as discussed during the conversation with Aid earlier in the series, this sort of workshop allows you the opportunity to learn from an expert and connect with other photographers who share this interest, and you come away with amazing images. And in 2019, as it so happened, the workshop was going to be in my own town. It was, I thought at the time, a once-in-a-lifetime experience. But of course, the pandemic hit, which meant a couple of things. First, it meant there weren't any workshops for a while. And two, that was the primary catalyst for me diving back into film photography. So in 2021, once the numbers were looking better and workshops slowly started to happen again, and the opportunity to attend this workshop again came up, I was very curious to see what it would be possible for me to capture with film. Obviously those images I mentioned at the beginning and pretty much any concert photography taken in the 20th century would have been captured on film. So I knew it would be possible, especially since I would be using a camera that was sold new as recently as 2007 and using a modern emulsion. The camera would be a Canon EOS 3. It was the first film camera I purchased when I got back into film. It could take the same lenses I was using with my digital camera and the modern features seemed like it would be a good gateway back into film at that time. And it certainly and it certainly made sense for those same reasons at this workshop. The tougher decision was the film. Delta 3200 or the T-Max P3200 were obvious choices, but I did decide to do a little research online to see what other people had done. There didn't seem to be a single recipe for success. I saw some samples of Delta 3200 shot and developed at 3200, Someone else shot it at 2,000 and then pushed it two stops. Some people shot Tri-X anywhere from 400 to 1,600. I've shot HP5 myself more than anything else, and of course it has a ton of latitude. I assume that would be true for any of these emulsions. Still, I haven't done a lot of shooting in environments similar to this. I don't assume that light sensitivity is exactly the same between a digital sensor and a film emulsion, but the most relevant personal experience I had in this area was from taking the workshop in 2019. A large number of those photographs have been taken at ISO 3200 at around f5.6 with a 1 500th of a second shutter speed. I thought it might be possible to try a few different scenarios, maybe rate different rolls at different speeds or develop them differently, but to be honest, in the chaos of shooting in that sort of environment, I just wasn't confident that I would be able to keep track of which rolls I had shot at which speeds. And without knowing that, I thought I might get lucky to get some good images, but wasn't sure I'd learn anything if I didn't know that info in combination with the development. I was tempted to try the T-Max P3200 just because I hadn't shot it before, but all of my normal online retailers were out of stock at the time so I ultimately decided on the Delta 3200. My normal developer is D76, and I have used that with Delta 3200 before, but I've also used Ilford DDX, and since that is a recommended developer for Delta 3200 from Ilford, I decided to pick up a bottle of that also to use for my experiment. That meant that most of the major variables were covered, the camera, the film, and the developer but I still wasn't sure how to rate the film and ideally would have a way to try different exposures. That would likely mean I would end up with the fewer images total, but hopefully with increased odds that at least some of them would be good images to maybe make a print from. This is where the modern features of the Canon EOS 3 came in handy. One of those features is auto exposure bracketing, where you can get a range of exposures and with the camera in continuous shooting mode, when you push the shutter button, it will make three exposures according to the range along with whatever you've set for the ISO. I ultimately decided to set my ISO to 1600 and the range to plus or minus one stop. 
So then for each scene I captured, I would have one frame at 800, one at 1600, and one at 3200. So that was my plan. I carried six rolls. There were two opening acts during the concert, and I shot one roll for each of those acts, and then the remaining four for the headliner. In addition to my film camera, I also had two digital cameras that were on a two-camera harness. I could switch out lenses when I wanted to change perspectives, but still, navigating a crowd who were just there to see a show in a mostly dark environment while hauling three cameras around is a young photographer's game. Not to mention that for anyone who doesn't do this regularly, the top priority of capturing images that are compelling and tell the story of that particular show is an additional challenge. And of course, I'd thrown myself the additional challenge of also trying to experiment with film. Still, with all that said, it was a fantastic experience and I had a great time. I loved all of the digital images, of course, but also came away with several film images that I also enjoy. While none of them are likely to ever hang in someone's room as a poster, I have made a couple of darkroom prints that I personally really enjoy. Concert photography is challenging for all of the reasons you might expect. The lighting, the crowd, the idea of translating something that is generally an audio experience using a visual medium. But the challenge is part of the fun. It was certainly a main reason for me to want to try it. Even if I were talented enough to capture million dollar images, I don't think I would be likely to work exclusively as a concert photographer. There just aren't that many people who are able to earn a living that way anyway. But many of the people I attended these workshops with have been able to use the images from that show to build a portfolio that has gained them access back in their hometowns at smaller shows and venues. Whether they are being paid or not, they enjoy the challenge, atmosphere, and adrenaline that comes with photographing in those challenging environments. The results of my film experiment were that I did not like any of the images that were rated at 800. All of my favorites were rated at either 1600 or 3200. I'm deliberately not using the terms push-pull, under-over-exposed, or under-over-developed. The rolls were exposed at 800, 1600, and 3200, and developed in DDX for nine and a half minutes. Some of the frames show hints of bromide drag, which as I understand it is usually due to not enough agitation. I did use my normal inversion method for development, but perhaps I may have been a little less aggressive in my mind to control grain and contrast. But I also noticed that while the Delta 3200 datasheet implies that 800 ISO is achievable, 800 is not in the ideal range. As an afterthought much later after the fact, I remembered that they had made us go through an x-ray machine going into the concert venue. And of course I was carrying 3200 speed film. Whether or not that had an effect on the 800 speed images, I can't say. I can say that it didn't ruin the film. I did get images I enjoyed, just none of them at 800. You can see a few of the images along with a recounting of those technical details in my article on 35mmc, which I will have included a link for in the show notes. So there you have it. That was my experience with using film at a big time concert. When I started to reflect on my own music and photography, like most others, I looked back to the past. Some of those on my father's side of my family are engineering-oriented and mechanically-minded. My father's passion for fun and occasionally profit was working on cars. My mother's father grew up in a rural agricultural setting. They worked the land with manual labor and if they needed something, they built it with their hands. They didn't have a television, so for nightly entertainment they had to provide it themselves sometimes building and learning to play handmade musical instruments using wash tubs or cigar boxes or whatever they had on hand. Her mother taught home economics and taught all of her daughters to sew. Cousins on my father's side tinkered with engines. One is an engineering professor who, like many others, pitched in to help work on projects related to ventilators at the start of the pandemic. 
cousins on my mother's side played musical instruments, flutes and clarinets and trumpets and tubas and drums. One of them is a middle school band director now. Certainly there is creativity involved in engineering, and there is also science in music and photography. How these things manifested themselves in me was that I earned degrees in philosophy and computer science and have spent my adult life in technology, but have used much of any spare time I get in more artistic pursuits. The analysis, logic, problem solving, and precision involved in computers speaks to a certain part of me, but clearly so does the ideas around weaving sound or visuals out of whole cloth, as they say. One of my cousins has one of our grandfather's old instruments hanging proudly on her wall, a nod to the influence he clearly played in all our lives. It was with that in mind, the influence of our parents and grandparents in inspiring our creativity, that spoke to me when I saw Hilary Clark's project about her family piano and asked her about it. One of the things was that I did do was I, I looked at the piano, which I, I can I can see right now. If I look to my left, the, the piano is there, um, and it's it's at the moment it's a piece of furniture, and it has been for a number of years. It was my mum's piano. She loved playing the piano. Uh, she was a reception school teacher. She taught first year, so she taught four and five year olds. And at the time, the school it, it wasn't a huge school. And they, they had a, a dedicated music teacher, but she was in the junior department. But mum played the piano for the morning hymns, the morning assembly. And eventually the music teacher said, you're, you're very good at this. Could you help out with the recorder group? And mum said, well, I don't play the recorder. And they said, well, that really doesn't matter. Just <laughs> teach it. It's fine. So she did that. And then she helped out with the orchestra as well. She always enjoyed the music. She she had a lovely voice. She we both sang in the church choir at one time. But the piano meant a lot to her. And when uh, I think it got pushed out of the house actually. When 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 I got married, I, I got we bought quite a large house and there was plenty of room. And my dad's other interests, apart from photography, were computers, and it took up a lot of space. And so we moved the piano to my house. It sat in the dining room for for a long, long time. And it got played when when mum came to visit she would sit down and play a tune and that was she enjoyed that but when i when i've, I've since downsized come to a smaller house and it, it sits in my office come study come library come workshop come everything else and it's, it's literally a piece of furniture i've I, since i've done this project i have cleared this a little bit so it isn't just a, a sideboard anymore but i thought well i, I she, she loved it so much and i've kept it so it means a lot to me I should do something I should and I, I, my thinking was I should see it from another perspective so I, I, li I literally thought right I'm going to climb on top of it and sit on it <laughs> and I will see it from another perspective so then I realized I could take a picture of my feet just dangling down onto the keyboards and I, I did quite a lot of those so that that taught me quite a lot with my camera because much as I like film photography the structure of this workshop meant you had to take the photographs at the beginning of the week and then on the, every Sunday afternoon for four weeks you would discuss your photographs and put them online. So I knew I wasn't that organised to take film <laughs> and get them ready for a week. I don't, I, I develop black and white but I don't develop colour uh, and I definitely wanted to take some colour photographs. So I have a Canon PowerShot G7 Mark II. Okay. I didn't have to concentrate too much on exposure and lighting and, and the, the, the light in my house isn't great, but it's it, the piano is just by a window and I did turn all the lights on and, and did manage to get it fairly well lit. I found that I could use my phone. I didn't realise I could use my phone as, a, as an app to actually take the photographs. So mm -hmm. that was a revelation to me because I, so I could set it all up, climb on top of the piano. I was desperate that I didn't fall off because I thought, oh. <laughs> weeks but and I yeah I, I really like that photograph so I thought well let's do a few more about around the piano and see what happens and the people on the course seem to go yeah that's yeah we like that idea you know explore that a little bit more I was the youngest child on both sides of my family 
and the influence of my older cousins all playing instruments in the band at the school that we all eventually attended was strong on me. It became a family tradition for us. So music came first for me as a creative outlet. Once I was in high school, I was in the marching band and in the concert band. For the marching band, we spent long hot summers in the Alabama heat, learning our routines that we would then perform during the halftimes of our football games and in marching band competitions. And many of the friendships formed during those times are still friendships today. The concert band didn't have the physical component, so for that half of the year we were able to play more complex arrangements and become even more proficient with our instruments. We were fortunate to have an excellent teacher and our band went on to win many competitions during my tenure. While I had played youth sports, I had never played on any teams that had much sustained success. So being part of a group that grew and learned through those long hours and days of practice was gratifying. But this isn't about winning competitions. It's about being creative and being able to express something, but to be able to do it well. And it's just one part of a larger whole all working together. Each person contributing one part that by itself may not be that compelling, but as part of that larger whole made beautiful music. Being in an orchestra of a couple of hundred people is not the same thing as being in a small band of four or five people, but the idea of being able to come together and create music collaboratively still applies. So as someone who had played in bands, I was interested to hear Mike Gutterman's experience in collective creativity. The people that aren't musicians that may, may be hearing this or whatever, I'm sure everybody's probably got something like this, uh, maybe in some passion or something in their life like this. But like when you have some uh, some people in a room together, particularly if you're writing a song or if you're doing like original music or whatever, and a song starts coming together, it's it's like a weird thing, man. It, it's 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 an unbelievable, uh, uh, like a, almost a euphoric sort of like thing, like a <laughs> spiritual thing almost that when you all start, when you're everybody in the room is clicking and the song is coming together and you're just kind of kind of you know working it out and uh it's uh it's just it's unlike really any anything i any experience i've it's a different kind of experience than I've, I've ever shared with people in any any other sort of uh, uh way it's a it's a very just really weird like it's almost like i said almost spiritual and uh not to sound hokey but it just it's a very you know it is it's a it's a, it's a powerful no. thing when you when you when a, like there was a one song in particular, my last band was uh, came about, and we don't even like we we listen to that song now, and we're like, how in the hell did we write that thing? It's like a twelve minute song, like <laughs> like, <laughs> like how did we come up with all those parts? And like it just kind of happened naturally. It was just kind of a, just a, a kind of a streak of luck, and everybody just was just feeling it, and it just happened, you know. And uh, but um, but I, I I can say, I mean, I could see where you can get a little bit of that vibe. Like you said, uh, doing like a portrait, like if you're working with a model mm -hmm. and you two are kind of bouncing ideas off of each other, I can see where you could get a little bit of that vibe. Uh, but for me, photography, I think one of the things that I like about it and where I separate it from music is the fact that it is solitary uh, for me uh, more than so the music might be. Uh, and I think that's one of the, one of the reasons I kind of was attracted to it because I don't need other people to go do it. You know, I can go do <laughs> right. it myself. I don't have to have the, the lazy drummer show up for band practice uh, <laughs> to make it happen, you know? So uh, there's that advantage too. So, yeah. <laughs> Just as Mike turned to photography as a solo creative pursuit, that is how my early love of music evolved. Once I had graduated and was no longer part of a larger music-making group, I began to miss that creative outlet. My instrument was the trumpet, and while a trumpet can be a lovely instrument for solos in a larger piece, it did not seem quite as versatile as a full-time outlet to me, which I imagine my neighbors were grateful for. So at that point, I bought a guitar. I really enjoyed the experience of learning the guitar. In many ways, it was the opportunity to come at music again fresh. While I had a grasp on the foundations of music theory, suddenly I was responsible for all of the rhythm, harmony, and melody. Like many others before me, I spent many hours listening to my favorite songs while trying to pick out notes and chords so that I could play along. Aside from the joy of playing music, those hours of sitting and playing the guitar also served another purpose. 
being in that phase of life, moving into adulthood and trying to find one's place in the world. The guitar was my companion and helped give me an activity as I tried to make sense of things and plan for my future. It was a way to unwind after a long day at work. At various times, I did try to take the pieces I'd learned from playing other people's music to compose original music of my own. That part, as well, unlocked aspects of creativity that I've enjoyed exploring over the years. Ultimately, though, I'm not a good singer, and despite spending a good amount of time practicing, there was some disconnect between melodies I could dream up in my head and the ability of my fingers to make those melodies come to life. Left just to strumming chords, the guitar ended up being a somewhat limited creative outlet for me, though I enjoyed it greatly. I'm sure this on some level helped prompt me to seek out another creative outlet, a search that would ultimately lead me to photography. This idea of finding an outlet in music earlier in life and for it to be a thing that is done alone simply for the personal enjoyment it brings and then later turning to photography to serve similar purposes was a subject that came up when I talked to Aid, who'd had a similar journey. It, the, I guess there are differences in between the two for me, though. So in, mm -hmm. in playing the guitar or a little bit of piano that I play sometimes occasionally these days, though those are about the music is about learning to play stuff that I've heard and that I'm interested in. Um, mm -hmm. so, you know, in, when it comes to playing a guitar, for example, I've never been, you know, a steady rhythm guitarist that can pick out, you know, can keep a whole song running, you know, uh, and equally, I'm not, uh, a, a, a lead guitarist, uh, who, you know, uh, that with, with screaming solos or anything like that. But what I tend to focus on is, is the, is bits of tunes that are very melodic, um, mm -hmm. and where maybe the guitar is carrying that tune for, for a bit. But I'd be quite happy, you know, I, I'd be quite happy if I hear something that catches catches my ear and I think I'd love to learn to play that. I'd be happy to learn to play 16 bars or something. And then, yeah, I don't feel the need to, to be able to play the whole song, you know, right. uh, and I don't feel the need most of the time to play it for anybody else either. It's, it, but, but I do find it really, it, it's it's really good therapy so in in a hectic world where there's you know it, it really helps me be chilled and concentrating on one thing it's a bit of escapism in a way in a really positive way um you know yeah at the end of the day uh, if you're a bit frazzled you know you pick up the guitar and play for an hour um yeah that's a that's a really good thing so i don't know whether you'd call that creative or not because I, what i'm really doing is is something else i suppose if i'm learning to play other people's songs i don't know how creative you'd feel that was but the photography though <laughs> is is creative that's about me right. wanting to to create something um and uh you know that is uh it's, there are some similarities i mean very rarely do i you know um, produce anything that you would consider a coherent body of work with my photography very rarely <laughs> do i set myself a deadline or a target and set out to finish something um, but I do love little projects. I do love creating a small collection of things. Um, you know, right, even from the very earliest days, um, you know, I had my, you know, what was then my new DSLR, but also I had uh, a phone. And mm -hmm. a very, I remember the, the very, there's, there's photos up on the wall in the house that I shot with my very first iPhone. Um, now, I didn't have the very first one. I think the one I had was the iPhone 3G. So whatever year that came out, it might have been 2009 or something like that. I used to work a lot in London at the time, used to walk around the city, um, used to take photos. And, and you know, in those days, uh, phones weren't great cameras or didn't have great cameras. Um, and so there was a lot of mashing of pixels in little apps and stuff like that. And that was fun. But that was fun, very creative. And I still go back to that. I still go back to you know, really brutalizing pixels with crazy apps on my phone and seeing you know, what <laughs> I can get out of that. And I do enjoy that. 
Um, right. But equally, I've enjoyed as well over the years the different film emulsions that you can use in creating looks with film, and you know, and and the thought process of thinking, okay, well, if I'm going to go and do this, then maybe that film would suit. So you make your choices, choose your camera, choose your lens, choose your film, and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, and you know, at that point, of course, it's 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 creative with forethought, which you might call more structured, I suppose. Yeah, in a way. <laughs> right. But but definitely the photography is 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 a creative outlet for me. But because I treat it purely as a hobby, um, which is I recognise is is a luxury. Um, yeah, you uh, you know, I I'm not sure that I'd want to be a professional photographer because I can pick <laughs> it up, I can put it down, I can do half a thing and finish it. I can try something, realise I don't enjoy it, and and change it um you know a lot of that is is all available to me precisely because it's a hobby rather than a profession so you know that i find is very freeing and helps with being creative as well because i'm I'm not beholden to anybody (laughs) my talent with the guitar felt limiting to how creative i could be photography ultimately seemed to offer an opportunity to explore another way to create These creative outlets are good in many ways. They offer a way to express an idea or a mood. We can practice music and photography. We can study the fundamentals and learn all of the technical details and concepts. We can acquire all sorts of gear. We can take lessons. We can achieve some level of proficiency with these tools that will carry our abilities to express ourselves musically or photographically as far as our talent and ability will allow. Once we've gotten to a certain point of understanding the medium, then how do we start using them to create? What is inspiration and where does it come from? This has always seemed to me to be one of those things that we know it when we've experienced it, but it can be difficult to articulate. Certainly we can learn other people's songs and then take some of those parts and put them together in a different order. With photography, we can recreate images that we like learn the elements of composition that appeal to us and then use that approach to our own subject matter. But what is the next level of that? Without copying an existing song or an existing image, how do we begin to translate an idea we've had based on the influences that surround us into a work we want to create? What are the ingredients? What might be all of the pieces that we can draw from? These were questions I wanted to explore with Claire Marie Bailey. Um, right. I was just thinking of um, in with the um, the "Wish You Were Here" song that I, I really like. That's an example. I was actually in Spain, in southern Spain, which obviously has a climate and a light and a kind of mood of itself. I really love Spain, and I was actually. I'd gone out, it was really early in the morning, and I remember, this is how music can really move you, and all the contributories were were right, I think, I don't know, the, the, the temperature, the time, the light, everything, and I just walked past this little sort of bar it was, and Wish You Were Here was playing, coming out of that bar, and I felt really emotional, I can't say why. And I, so I actually, I actually, I actually sat there and I got myself like a cup of tea and I was listening to that. And, and that's, and that's an example of being in that place and with those certain, you know, the certain climate and stuff that I, you, I feel drawn to listen to certain music when I was there and to create. So for instance, I remember once being there, I was listening to a lot of Kurt Vile. I like him as well because it, it fitted, I don't know, it just fitted the time and and the weather and then that has an influence on your on what you what I create as well so yeah I think I think they definitely go along I think they just can both influence your mood both move you emotionally and like I said when one you know you tend to think okay photography's got more of a visual rhythm and and music has its as its kind of musical rhythm but actually it's this thing about I think you can actually see see music I mean, I don't know what it is. Boards of Canada is a band. I, I, I know I've said that I listen to them a lot, but for some reason they do something to me. They, they guarantee. That's the band that guarantee, guaranteed sets off my imagination and and gets me creating. And I always associate Boards of Canada. Yeah, I feel it's almost like late. I called it my late night storm music. It's just like perfect for that. Um, but yeah, no. If I if I have it on, it it always always gets me 
imagining it just puts me in that puts me in that kind of headspace really it really does boards of canada yeah right. uh geogadi all the albums i think the first one was uh, music has the right to children and if you listen to them it's interesting because maybe i'm not articulating i can't put into words we could all have a boards of canada episode and and what, it, <laughs> what the music does to us but i do think they that track reach for the dead is so powerful and that makes me imagine all sorts and then that will come out you know come out because quite often i've got um photo shoots planned you know that i've written down and maybe i haven't been able to get to locations and there's all sorts of reasons why you know we're in a pandemic all those sorts of things right. and the right place but i will write down my ideas and capture them and a lot can come like you say from from the music hate rock as well I know, I feel like I am a hate rock evangelist. I tell everybody, oh, hate rock's really good. <laughs> but right. they they have a certain, you know, a really good um, mood. But all, all music does. And it's funny, isn't it? Because it's true, isn't it? You can put a certain song on and it can take you, like you say, you said earlier, Billy, it can take you back in time to a memory, to a thing. It right, can instantly right. put you in a certain mood, can't it? It can lift your mood, lower your mood, alter your mood. And yeah, and, and then definitely the two will, will, will merge. We use music and photography to create. We acquire the tools and we learn the techniques and along the way we figure out ways to integrate the things we learned and draw inspiration from the influences that surround us. Music can influence photography, as Claire mentioned. Photography, or at least a photograph, can no doubt influence music. Every picture tells a story, or a picture is worth a thousand words. These are phrases we've all heard, and it's true. The storytelling aspect of both music and photography, I believe, is one of the strongest features of both, and it's one of the areas where the two offer us an outlet for expression and creativity. Once we've adopted music or photography as our outlet, we're bound to want to build some narrative that will resonate with the people who may hear that song or view that image. Even if there is no intended audience and we are just doing this for ourselves, this ability of music and photography to communicate that story is very powerful. It can cross decades of time and travel around the world. The significance of this property of music and photography and how it compels us to tell those stories and tell them in a way that is meaningful for us came up during my conversation with Christian. I think the more you think about it, the more obvious is uh, it is how, how similar photography and or taking photos and uh, making music is because I, th I think for me it's a search of uh, search it sounds a little bit um ridiculous maybe but it's like a search for beauty you know because i mean you don't take photos because you think that your subject or whatever you take the photo of is ugly because even if it is ugly you want to present it in a way that speaks to people you know it's so uh, there is some sort of uh, aesthetic uh, that goes with an image that you take and i think it's the same with with music um you want to play in a way that speaks to people and there's always a story behind the song or the the image that you take i mean we we started playing a, a tune a while ago which we only started because the melody was so great and it's called shut up in the uh, mine of uh, cold creek and it's mm -hmm. about it's an old time tune or like like a uh, not a bluegrass tune because bluegrass is younger than the song was written but it's about this horrible accident in a coal mine where a lot of the miners were locked in because there was some a sort of explosion and they suffocated, but they had uh, paper and pencils with them and they could actually write down letters to their loved ones. And I mean, that is the most horrible thing on the one hand, but on the other hand, it's so there is a sort of like a beauty that they can still say goodbye. And there are photos of the minds if you search for that online and i think that's i mean you can look at a photo and if you don't know the backstory it's uh, it might be a good photo but if there is a backstory that's filled in and you you 
read about what the the background is uh, it makes the the photo even more in interesting and it's the same with music i mean obviously you have the lyrics and you can grasp what was going on but you don't necessarily know the exact story behind the song and i think uh, that's also a similarity that uh, knowing the context of a song and the context of an image is just adds to the whole experience of looking at the image or hearing the song. As great as it is to be able to use music or photography to tell a story, any story, it's even better and potentially so much more meaningful when the musician or photographer can use these mediums to tell a personal story. It doesn't necessarily have to be a tragic story of a mine explosion. It could just be the things we see every day, the community we are a part of, the place we live, and the activities we engage with. When we can create a song or an image, even of a mundane thing, we bring a certain part of that beauty that Christian mentioned, when there is a piece of us in it also. To create a thing is an awesome feeling. It is part of what attracts us to music and photography, I believe. Previously, this image or this song didn't exist, and it still wouldn't if we had not invested some of our time and effort and creativity into putting it out there into the world. This is true even if we are taking an image of a fire hydrant. Hundreds of people a day may pass by that fire hydrant and not even notice that it is there. But you did. And not only did you notice, you took the time to find a way to showcase it in a way that is interesting. You may have used light, or forced perspective, or shallow focus, or any number of photographic techniques if you are creating an image that would cause a viewer to see the image in a certain way. You would use those tools to tell the story in a way you want to tell it, in the way you want the viewer to see it. The fire hydrant is a simple example, but certainly our goal as musicians or photographers is to create in that way to use what we have available to us to tell a compelling story. And we are better able to tell those compelling stories when they are more personal or familiar to us. This goal of telling the story about a thing you know and love and telling it in your way because you are part of that world came up a few times in my conversation with Vanya. I wanted to just document what I was seeing because there is... I just have so much fun out there. It's so much fun. Right. People are making jokes and there's things happening constantly. And it was an experience that I really wanted to share. So right. it kind of stemmed from that. And I am still trying to photograph in that way, not mostly showcasing like how amazing someone is surfing, but just <laughs> the moment that they're, that they're in surfing. I think it's like, it's hard. I, I kind of like portrait. So it's really, really mm -hmm. hard. And and shooting portrait in the water is like really weird and mm -hmm. strange, <laughs> uh, but I do like it. And then also um, I like to give kind of a range. You can see kind of some, sometimes you'll see the sand or like the smokestacks or up here in the background. And it kind of gives a little bit of, of the size of like what, what it looks like in the water. Um, mm -hmm. And then also the, the whole like, I shoot low on land, which Eric told me. I didn't even really like realize, you know, I didn't put this together. And I've talked about this on, on the podcast. Uh, right. I like to shoot really low to the ground. And when you're swimming, it's just your head above water. So getting that perspective of like a bunch of foreground is kind of like <sighs> those pictures of like people surfing in the water or just like the wave with a little bit of like offshore winds on it or something like that it is uh it is the little piece of me that i can give about myself that i think not a lot of people get to experience this series has been about music and photography and some of what these things offer for us there are so many things that these things bring to our life they can enrich our lives, they can affect our moods, they can preserve our memories, they can provide entertainment and creative outlets for us. We can use them to tell stories. I've shared some of my own experiences with music and photography, and of course all of the people I was privileged to talk with shared theirs. There were similarities in these stories, but they were also all unique.
While we all love these things and they have played some role in our lives, that role has been different for each of us. And this is perhaps the most meaningful thing about music and photography to me. I was not a very skilled musician and I don't consider myself a particularly skilled photographer. I don't say those things out of humility or as a negative reflection on myself. It's more to say that despite whatever shortcomings I may have with regards to these things, I love them anyway. And so do so many other people. It is a thing we have in common, whatever other differences we may have. And the people part has played perhaps the biggest part for me in music and photography. My days of playing in the band led to many lifelong friendships. We succeeded because of the things we accomplished together, with each of us contributing part of the overall song. Even when not playing music, all of my favorite musical memories have people attached to them. Riding around town with friends, listening to mixtapes of our favorite songs was a typical Friday night for me and some of my favorite memories. Going to concerts were as much about the ability to gather again with friends and family as it was about going to see the performer or hear the music. And photographer is similar to that in many ways for me. Even before I got into photography as a hobby, most of the pictures I took were of people, the people most important to me, and normally we were doing something fun that I wanted to preserve the memory of. After taking up photography as a hobby, I've certainly taken a lot of images that don't have any people in them, but the most important images that I take still do. One of the best things about the hobby is that I have better gear and more skill to make the images better. But of course there are all these wonderful people that I have met through photography. These personal connections that music and photography bring into our lives was also significant to Rachel. Music was a wonderful way of, of me kind of like dipping my toe into these other worlds, you know, and I met people who, who did go to private school and I met people who, who didn't. And I became friends with people from all sort of like walks of life, I suppose, through music, which is just a wonderful, wonderful thing to be able to do and a wonderful opportunity. And, uh, you know, people I never would normally have spoken to or met or been friends with or uh, cross paths with at all, you know, I think there was myself and, you know, a handful of other people who came from um, the local council estate, if you like. And, and so it was, it was a really strange kind of like mix, but also really lovely to see that we weren't so different after all uh, and that music brought us together. And I think there's a lot of crossover with that and photography as well, and especially analog photography, like this idea that you get to meet people from all around the world, from all walks of life, you know, and and find a connection through music or through photography. This has been my exploration of music and photography and some of the ways these things have impacted my life and the lives of those that I was able to chat with. I really do appreciate everyone again who gave me some of their time and really do hope that you were able to listen to the standalone chats. And I hope that some of the topics that were discussed over the series resonated with you. There are probably as many stories as there are people to tell them, so in that regard I feel as though I've barely scratched the surface. The concert photography workshop that I attended was in Memphis, Tennessee, which is about three and a half hour drive from my house. I really did intend to just attend the workshop, see what images I could capture, perhaps share some if any turned out, and maybe make a few prints, and that would have been the end of it. The workshop was on November 20th. As I was driving to the workshop, I was listening to some of the episodes of Sunny 16 from over the last year. Those episodes, of course, had John Whitmore. We'd learned that he had passed only a few weeks before, and we didn't yet know what sort of opportunity there might be to pay some sort of tribute to him. I wondered what sort of tribute I might be able to pay anyway, given that I never met him in person. There were subsequent tributes in the Photography Through the Pandemic book that Hamish and Holly were putting together through 35MMC ended up being funded and will include some of his work, and it will be dedicated to him. 
But as I was driving along and thinking about these things, I tried to think about what stood out most to me about John. I believe he liked to experiment, and I believe he liked to share those experiences with us. And I believe he liked to engage with the community. I would have to assume that's why he started a YouTube channel and joined Sunny16. And that is when the idea of this series really came together for me. I was preparing for an experiment that night, and I could share that experience and whatever I got out of it with the community. And I could engage and include members of the community to help me explore this topic. There were so many times between the workshop and recording this final installment when I was tempted to just let it go. But beyond the love of the topics and my extreme appreciation to the people who gave me their time and their stories, there was also the motivation to in some small way pay tribute to the memory of John and what I felt he contributed to the community. If I can offer no other solace to those he left behind, I hope they can know that his example served as a tremendous inspiration to me. I also have to thank Hamish for publishing the article on 35MMC. He hosts the site, of course, so that anyone who doesn't have their own blog can submit one of these sorts of topics. So I'm thanking him for that, but also because we had a little bit of a back and forth at the beginning of all this. and. It was close to the holidays, and he was trying to wrap up his year, I'm sure, so just appreciate his uh, patience in working with me to get the article published. I also have to thank Mike Gutterman specifically again for making his music for productions available for anyone to use in their projects like this. You can find his music on his Bandcamp page at mikegutterman.bandcamp.com and of course to Sunny16 for hosting this feed. You can reach them at sunny16presents at gmail.com with your ideas. I hope that you will, and I'll look forward to hearing what you've been up to. But finally, I do have to give massive thanks again to Claire Marie Bailey, Hilary Clark, Adrian Stock, Mike Gutterman, Christian Strauff, Vanya Zask, and Rachel Brewster Wright. I'm not surprised because they are all wonderful people but I am truly grateful for their contributions, without which this would have been so much less than anything I would have been able to put together by myself. Thank you all again for listening, and I hope everyone is well.